0: We should read our Bibles
1: as men digging for buried treasure. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of peoples according to the number of the sons of God. In those days, and for some time after, giant Nephilites
0: lived on the earth, for whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. Take no part in the fruitless deeds of darkness, but yet expose them.
1: Though a thousand fall at your side, though 10,000 are dying around you, these eagles will not touch you. Life's a garden, man. You gotta dig it. Hello, fellow treasure hunters. Welcome to the excavation site. I'm Justin. Alongside me, we got Ben, Steven, and Chad. We'll be your guides on this excursion. Hope you brought your shovel and your compass, because we got the map. Let's dig. What's going on, all my local guys, gals, <laughs> long distance pals? How's it going? Pretty good, pretty good.
0: I'll never get over you saying that. That's just this hilarious every time.
1: Oh, yeah, that's my new line. Is <laughs> it? Yeah, everybody's got to have some one liners. Mm. That worked.
0: <laughs> well, I'm pretty excited about today.
1: Yeah, it's the first maiden voyage. Yes, sir. We got, we got a t- interview. Go yeah. ahead. Well, t- tell us about it, Stephen.
0: Well, I'm, I'll be honest with you, Heather. Uh, I'm so excited for this because this is my favorite topic of any topic there is. Um, I love this. Uh, I just, I, I want to go on and say that first of all, we got Heather Arnold here with us. She, she's researcher for 15 years. Um, she's as far as, uh, uh diving into the giants, especially in, uh, Aruba Bonaire and Curacao, correct?
1: correct. And, and
0: you got a book coming out in the next couple of months. Um, what's the title of the book again it is the island of the giants
2: yes the islands of the giants the lost race of giants of aruba bonaire and curacao
0: i am loving it that i am looking forward to that um, that's pretty much if you go into my library right now that's every book i have it's something about the giants and something about it and it's just amazing to me how much we see that all over the world but it's a place that i've never even thought of uh, giants or anything of that nature that that I mean, it's it's such a unique um, niche that you've kind of found yourself into. Can you kind of tell us how you got into that?
2: Yeah, well, I always say the giants found me. I didn't find the giants. So, um, and that's really what leads me. I um, well, in two thousand five, I ended up moving to Aruba and I started a tour company. And my tour company. Was Harley Davidson rentals and tours and private Jeep tours. So um, I wanted the tours to be different. So aside from them being private and the vehicles that I was using, um, I wanted the tours to be historically accurate. So what I noticed um, in a group of right away is that the petroglyph sites, and there are many petroglyph sites on the island. As a matter of fact, Aruba has one of the most petroglyphs of any of the Caribbean islands. And um, the petroglyphs all mirrored petroglyphs I had seen elsewhere um, in the desert southwest in particular, in Europe, in South America. I've even seen similar ones on Easter Island. There were similar ones in Japan some of the common themes of spirals, cup and ring um, type petroglyphs, which could denote Atlantis, some say, cup marks, which are the oldest form of rock art in the world, at least uh, 400,000 years old. Um, and so I was very curious at that moment. I thought, wow, this is so strange. Like, How are the same petroglyphs showing up in Aruba that have shown up? in Colorado and shown up in the Ireland and shown up in Peru and so then I began to delve further into the research and um, I I couldn't really nail down the history of Aruba. It was so almost shrouded in mystery and cloistered um, by by a few people who knew the true history. And so I was going on tours of different tour guides on the island and everyone was kind of saying something different. Primarily what the children are taught in Aruba is that the islands were called the useless islands because there was nothing of value on the islands. And I knew right away that something was wrong with that statement because um, Aruba has tons of gold, for example. Hmm. So to think that it's useless was very, Strange. So that didn't make sense to me. And then I immediately start thinking the opposite, right? So when I see, oh, useless islands, and I know there's gold, so there must be something going on here. Well, like actually... the
1: Vikings did with Iceland.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, right. So it's kind of, you know, to throw you off track. Hmm. And so then I stumbled across a, um, a an actual speech of the one of the archaeologists and it was um on the 500 year anniversary of Aruba being discovered and the archaeologist who was Aruban and he's still there as a matter of fact um was quite angry because why was Aruba's history starting at 500 years when there's evidence of occupation in Aruba going back at least 5,000 years now it's Been re-aged to 7,000 years. So, and I believe it's even older. Um, And so I was, and, and then he started going on this tirade about how there were no giants on the islands. There were never any giants on the islands. And You know, he doesn't know why they were called the Islands of the Giants, but there are no no archaeological evidence of giants. So right away, I was like, oh, my gosh, there must be giants on Aruba. Why is this guy going so crazy? I mean, no one's even talking about the giants in Aruba. So then I stumbled across Vespucci's first arrival to the island and his first letters um, that he wrote after visiting the island of Aruba. He was the one who coined the islands, the islands of the giants, and he goes into much detail um, about his interaction with the giants, uh, to the point where he was actually scared for his life, and he named the islands, the islands of the giants, due to the large stature of the people there, and then I tracked down Um, the 1502 map of Juan de la Cosa, which is the first map of the New World. And on that map he designates Aruba and Curacao, at that time they didn't know about Bonaire, as the islands of the giants. And it was from that moment forward that uh, to this day, now going, you know, it's 15 years at this point, I believe that um, I've been researching the giants, and all of my research is from the archeological record. So I've dug up every, almost, I think it's almost every archeological report ever written of the skeletal remains found on the three islands, Um, their burials. and, um, And I've tried to see as many of the artifacts as possible, and that's how I eventually came into the giants. So the giants are still always uncovering different mysteries Um, And uh, there's never enough time to really explore all of the information that's available. And there's so much information, it's just very hard to get to. And so that's what I've been spending um, my time on I've been consumed with the giants. And once the giants get you, it's hard to shake them. It's really hard to move on from them. And there's so much information yet to uncover. So um, this will be an ongoing story um till y'all you know, hopefully even
0: till after I'm gone that's awesome i just i kind of wonder why do you think um when we, that that history's been so repressed like
1: why is everybody so against it and like the stories i've always heard about the smithsonian you know supposedly destroying oh, yeah, these taking, things and getting rid the of, of them you know stuff. what what yeah. what's the big deal here is it cuz it goes against the whole darwinism uh theory that they're trying to pitch to everybody in schools nowadays or What's your theory?
2: Well, well, you know, it's interesting because at first I thought it was Darwinism until I started reading Darwin's work because I kept thinking, how could Darwin have been such a smart guy? In a lot of ways, he he did come up with a lot of observational theory and um, very good scientific points um, as a matter of fact. then. When he looks at Patagonia, for example, he mentions in his work about the large statured people there, that they were of giant stature. Patagonia actually means Bigfoot. So he documents um, the instance of giantism in the populations that he is researching. So to say it's Darwinism, it didn't make sense. And then I realized when I post things about the giants on social media. There's, there are two groups of people and sometimes they're the same person, uh, this, you know, holding, wearing both hats, shall I say. Um, there are two types of people who attack me, I mean, viciously. And number one are experts, right? There's so many experts, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, they'll come after me, even though they have no idea that what any of the research that I have on, on my hands, they have not even cracked a book. So experts and atheists, atheists come at me so hard, and it dawned on me, and sometimes the experts and the atheists are the same people, Right. and it dawned on me that I think, by, but they think that by admitting that there are giants, which there are or were, um, that that will show that the Bible is in fact a, a, a true do- document, it's, a, it's an actual, uh, accurate history of what went on um, as they are documented in the Old Testament and so I I came to that conclusion just based off who attacked me and uh and uh, and it never fails it never fails and, and if you see if I'll post something I always leave the comments up because I I find that I think people should see those comments too. So um, so I. that's my belief is that uh, there's a cabal that really doesn't want people to believe the Bible is a, a, stor- a historical record as well as a spiritual guide. And so um, that is the only conclusion I can come up with. Uh, also, there are secret societies, and they don't have you know, the purest intent, and they sometimes think that they are the descendants of the giants. And maybe they want to cloister that information for themselves, which could be a possibility as well. But I really think it's a concerted effort to not prove anything in the Bible as being true
1: couldn't agree more yep right with you yeah if it ain't god it's of the devil and that's the devil's whole work yeah is to deny god so
0: you guys just talking about a little bit about how um you know the bones disappear the smithsonian we're talking a little bit about that but um from things that i've heard from you before that you've found you found bones there um specifically some skulls as well uh I'm kind of interested in, in the, the similarities and the differences between those and the Paracas skulls.
2: Yes. So um, so I've seen the Paracas skulls. I've been to Peru, and I've, I've actually seen them. It was one of my missions in life because I really wanted to compare. That's a great observation. Like the, the, the skulls that were found in Aruba and um, taken from the ground and the skulls that are, were found in Paracas. So the elongation is um, interesting. So the the skulls in Aruba and Bonaire and Curacao are elongated, and the Paracas skulls are uh, also elongated. The Paracas skulls go um, are their elongation is straight up. So their skulls are growing um, in a rounded oval shaped straight like up. Like cone head. Exactly, like the <laughs> like the movie. Yeah. exactly.
0: Dan Aykroyd's. Right I wasn't going
2: to say that because I didn't know how many people got that reference. <laughs> we we tell our point.
1: age with that reference.
2: Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, mine too. So, but yes, like cone heads so, exactly. So, um, but um, the skulls in Aruba have a different form of elongation, and different forms of elongation are noted in the archaeological record. And the the elongation of these skeletons in the Caribbean are is up and back. So the brain case is mostly um, towards the back, going towards the back of the skull. So the, the largest part of the brain case. So because of this elongation, the anatomy of the skull is different than a modern Homo sapiens uh, skull anatomy the anatomy of the giant's skulls in Aruba, because of the weight of the brain being towards the back, um, causes where the head connects to the neck to be in a different position. Now I know the paraca skulls also have this interesting um, anatomical difference as well, but that's to accommodate their skull shape, which is uh, on top of their head, whereas the um, Rubin, Bonaire and Curacao skeletons, the elongation is towards the, the back, um, not the top. And also where the ears are is in a, a different position. Um, and also the jaw, how the jaw connects to the skull is different. And um, And that is something actually that's also found in the... Paracus skulls, as well. The Paracus skulls are not giants. The Paracus, those, they, I, I have no evidence. And Brian Forrester, who has been very busy with the Paracus skulls most of his um, career, is um, says that they were, they probably weren't giant, although having that elongated skull may have had them look uh, as though they were taller. Mm-hmm. But actually, if you see the skulls in the museums. Um, you'll see that most of them are ra- rather small um, or average stature uh, size skulls. However, there are elongated skulls on planet Earth that appear to be um, giant. And um, and so not, there are not just, in, I know there's some in France. I know there has been some in, in Russia. Um, I believe there were some found in China. And then, of course, in Aruba, Bonaire, and Curacao. So that's our main Part. Also, there are three plates on the Aruban skulls, whereas the Paracas only have uh, the two plates on their skulls, which is a major anatomical difference.
1: Yeah, the sutra, um, right?
0: The,
2: the, sutra, yeah, exactly. the
1: sagittal sutra. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Yes. So and um, All
1: humans have those.
2: Oh, right. Exactly. Yes. And um, Brian Forrester seems to think that the, the, the Paracas skulls might have been the precursor to the um the other elongated skull people with their skull elongation that goes to the back and that could make sense because some of those bracket skulls may be older than the skull skeleton remains that are found in the caribbean um, that could be a possibility as well. But ultimately, what's interesting about that comment and observation is that he believes that all the people with the elongated skulls in ancient times were connected in some way, which is actually even more interesting. So um, that's those are the primary differences between the skulls. That's a great question.
0: Or following up to that a little bit, and you see this. With elongated skulls, we see that um, the forming of skulls happens a lot, you know, as uh, from different cultures like the Kushan Empire in Asia, the Maya and the Incas in the Americas, uh, the Mangbetu in Africa with they would they would wrap tight cloths to to make their skulls that shape. And sometimes, you know, you wonder why the reason for the imitation is it is did they revere? the people with these elongated skulls was it to try to be like them did they view them as gods like what is the connection there you think
2: yeah that's another great observation so firstly i'll say that the archaeological evidence shows that there was no head binding um, in the arubin and bonaire and curacao skeletons that they were actually um, born e- with elongated skulls um So then when you see cultures even to this day still doing this headboarding, this binding of the skull, um, you have to think that it is a connection to these ancient people. Um, the giants of Aruba were the elite ruling class. There weren't a lot of them, and the ones that were there lived a very long time. They clearly, were um, the ruling class because you can tell from their burials, you can tell that they're quite healthy, that they had a a very good diet. Usually the highest people in a society are going to be kept the best, most well fed, um, cared for uh, the best way with medical treatment, etc., what, what they could give in ancient times. So I think there is some sort of reverence and recall of these ancient people in that head binding. Um, and interesting to note that in the Paracas skulls, also the uh, oh, skulls in Aruba, if you find a fetus with an elongated skull, that means that the skull elongation is natural. Because if you're going to do the head binding, which occurs, it takes at least six months after birth for the skull to begin to get that elongated shape. So it's clear when you find a fetus and, um, of, a, of you know, an unborn child and their head is elongated, that those babies were being born with elongated skulls. So I think, yes, I think you're, absolutely right. I think they were probably, they were definitely the elite class. They were maybe elevated to the level of gods um, because they did have a secondary burial that occurred where their bodies, after the giants were turned into skeletal remains, they were exhumed, the bones, and the elongated portion of the skulls was painted with this red dye made from a locally sourced manganese. And this is something that you see in other cultures as well, also cultures with people who had elongated skulls. So that was um, probably um, more ritual was done once they were dead, perhaps. Um, the archaeologists hypothesized that maybe there were ceremonies that were done with these skulls after the, the secondary burial, and that maybe they were buried again, and then they were exhumed again in some cases for each maybe year that this ritual occurred, or whichever uh, the reasons were, but um, that there was some sort of reverence and worship going on at that point with exhuming the bodies and coloring the, the skulls. So there could have definitely been a, uh, there There can definitely be a connection made um, that between the head binding that's still going on today and this uh, reverence and maybe worship um, of these, of the giants at, with the elongated skulls for sure.
1: And far as biblically goes too, it, it ties in like with when you go into Numbers and Deuteronomy and stuff like that, it talks about uh, the Rephaim, which were giant clans. And they would uh, uh, venerate uh, the dead kings that were giants. And it talks about, you know, that they would do these like basically like necromancing rituals to summon the spirits of these dead raphaean giants to embody them to to rule in their stead use their basically use their body as a conduit and even in the bible it talks to them as uh, the travelers they would uh, do these ceremonies like on mount hermon and uh, they had they found a threshing floor there in estella that was dedicated to the, the fallen angels of uh, genesis 6 and the book of Enoch and they would uh, do these rituals and summon these these spirits of the Rephaim and it said that they would travel for three days before they would arrive into the the, the spirit plane you know because you know we dig into the you know the extra biblical books and stuff like that like first Enoch and you know it says that in Genesis 6 you know and and especially like in our area a lot of people want to uh, take the supernatural out of the Bible And say, well, the sons of God, you know, was the the godly lineage of of Seth mixing with the the ungodly lineage of of Cain. Therefore, that's how these mighty men, evil rulers, were made. You know, and uh, like a a friend of ours, Chad, uh, he coined the phrase, uh, kissing cousins don't make 30-footers, you know. (laughs) And it's like the book of Enoch talks about these angels came down and they gave forbidden knowledge to humanity. And when they did, they uh, took wives amongst themselves and bred with these women and created these Nephilim giants. And in return, they were worshipped as gods. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, a lot of this stuff is just uh, hand, hand in glove, I guess you could say. It fits together too perfect to to... It's handed Not down to right. those
0: generations with all that. Like that started at that time, and we're still seeing the results of that today. I, I, I believe that firmly, and I think that's kind of what you were alluding to before, Heather, when you were talking about that.
2: Right. Yeah, and, you know, interestingly, with the, the Nephilim, um, in particular, they're said to have lived within the earth. You know, lived, we um, could assume maybe that means hell, um, but definitely um, below ground. And so what's interesting with the creation story of the giants in the islands in the Caribbean is that they came from within the earth. And so in Bonaire, there is a monolith, a, a huge monolith of limestone, and it's facing the ocean. And in the center is an indentation, enough for an adult to go in, in um, in the fetal position. And This stone is called the mother stone, or or it's called the Bonaire stone, but it's also called the mother stone. And it's from this stone that the giants were birthed. So this this indentation in the stone is considered the navel. And from the navel is an umbilical cord that goes to the center of the earth and connects to the divine mother, which is more of a force than an actual physical mother. And this force gives birth to the giants and the giants are birthed through this navel of the stone and uh there's a famous artist who actually has an artist rendition of the the stone and and the giants being burst through this navel and that's the actual creation story uh, that they've told from generation upon generation passed down and it's quite interesting because i um, i'll be participating for the third time in a conference called the um the, the Anthropology Conference, and uh, and they, they speak of the Nephilim. And it's actually conducted by, uh, by a pastor of a church. He's, at, he's the one who runs this out of London. And we, everyone has their whole theories of the giants from their research. And many of us all have these creation stories of the giants coming from within the earth. So uh, I think There's there's a connection there. I mean, these are giants. We're talking about giants on a global scale because the giants are on a global scale. I think the only place where there has not been evidence found is um, Antarctica. But quite frankly, I think there's loads of evidence down there as well. Uh, We just haven't uncovered it yet, or it's just been hidden from us. But I think that there is something to be said about that origin story of, of the, the Nephilim and um, and the giants of Aruba and Bonaire and Curaçao, not to say that they were evil. Now I don't know if they were evil. Many people ask me, were they evil? I am i don't know. I wouldn't be able to tell. There were no signs of cannibalism, I can say that for sure, um, they, because the archaeologists all looked for it. Um, there was no signs of child sacrifice, which are some of the things that you would see with these um, these societies that are kind of falling apart, especially towards the end. Um, there were no human sacrifices, uh, no evidence of that. Um, so, and as a matter of fact, there were um, other average statured people living with the giants at simultaneously on the island, and oftentimes in these giant burials, you'll always have burials of little people and the little people are always buried with the giants and this there was a, for sure a little person burial with amongst giant burials in Aruba in the largest cemetery there and this person was went way into died way into uh, old their old age. They were definitely pampered, taken care of, they ate well they had an elite burial. So, um, so they cared for the people who were maybe not physically um, the same as them, and perhaps even um, in some cases of one woman, she had a um, uh, scoliosis and a, and a giant hump on her back, and she was also taken very well care. of. She was actually the oldest person who died in that cemetery and given cemetery and given a very elite, uh, prestigious burial. So. They definitely cared for people who might have had disfigurements or other type of, um, uh, you know, physical uh, limitations. So that kind of goes against them, perhaps being evil. Um, although Vespucci did think he was going to be killed by them, although he was trying to steal two of the giant teenage girls. So um that I was mean, probably yeah, exactly. i mean
1: yeah go into that that story and, and tell that story still, you tell still so my well. kids you're probably gonna get hurt yeah, <laughs> exactly
2: so you can't really be, hold that against them um they were acting you know like uh anyone would um if, who's normal uh so vespucci he he hears about the giants originally from columbus in, interestingly enough who first comes over and uh vespucci uh, columbus you, loses his permit to go back to the new world um he smuggled vespucci. it away from him didn't he exactly exactly <laughs> he really that he really set columbus up and uh, accused him of embezzlement and um because he was married to one of the medicis who were running all the money at that time and financing these trips oh, wow. they gave the uh, permit to vespucci so it was kind of underhanded and a whole book could be written just on that alone <laughs> and So Columbus hears about Aruba uh, from the mainland, what would be now considered uh, Venezuela, um, the Arawak there. And they tell him about the giants, and they tell him about Aruba, and they tell him about the gold on Aruba. And they say to Columbus that the giants are are docile people. They're very intelligent. Uh, They worship the sun. Which is interesting. And, um, but if you provoke them, they will come after you. So when Vespucci goes to the island, um, he brings a bunch of men with him on one of his ships. They la- land on the beach, and that's when they see the giant footprints. So they begin to follow the footprints and they stumble across a a village. And in the village are these um, huts that he describes. Um, They're kind of using mud. The people are drinking brackish water. There's really no water sources there that are um, pure, clean water. So it's all brackish, which in a hot climate that on an island hugging the um, equator, that actually makes more sense to be drinking brackish water. So they were very smart. Um, and or desperate and so um he's pumbles across these women and these it's like a, it looks like a grandmother and a mother and then these two teenage girls who are, they surmise to be like 15 or 16 years old and they immediately try to they can't believe how big they are and they couldn't believe these teenage girls were even bigger than them that even if the girls were kneeling they would still be taller than the men standing And so um, the the Vespucci and his band of of boys decide, oh, we're going to steal the two girls, bring them back to Europe with us. And as they're concocting this plan, 36 men come into the camp and he describes the men as even being bigger than the women that he's now talking to. And they also have these strange weapons. And he goes into much detail about the weapons, that he's never seen them. He doesn't even think he could lift the weapons. And so the Vespucci and and the gang decide to abort mission, that it's probably not a good idea to take these men on. So they begin begin to go back to the ship. And as they're creeping through the Brazil Wood Forest back to the coast, um, they are they are tailed by these giants who are right behind them. They actually follow the men. The men get on the boat. The giants start going into the water and they still are standing in the water because they're so tall and they start shooting arrows at the ship. And so Vespucci ends up um, shooting a a cannon at them, not to hurt them, but just to scare them. And these are his words. And he said um, he was happy to leave there and he thought that that day he was going to die. Now this was a man who would, just left an island where there were cannibals and he stumbled across them cooking a human over a fire and he didn't even feel as threatened then as he did by these giants that he saw and he said if they if he would have let them just keep coming in the water he was afraid they were going to board the ship I and mean, thats how tall they were and um, and then he at the end of this of his letter where he documents this quite specifically he says uh, I you know I named this island, the island of the giants, because of the large statured people there. And that name sticks for at least the beginning of the 1600s, um, and where, and Curacao is also called the islands of the giants. Aruba is eventually named Aruba because it um, means it, uh, gold there is in Spanish. So that was kind of a, a bastardization of the, the words. Um, so indicating that Aruba had gold. Curacao was still called the Island of the Giants for quite some time, um, and they the then Bonaire was called Bonaire, um, but that came along a little later, and it's not quite sure why they were called Bonaire. Um, they think there were they must have they might have misheard something, and just said Bonaire, but it was the the people were trying to say something else to them. But ultimately, then eventually Curacao becomes um, the Island of Curacao. So. Um, Yeah, it's quite an interesting story on the map, the Mapus Mundi, uh, which is in Spain you can see where Curacao and Aruba are called the Islands of the Giants. And where they are located on the map, it's one of the most accurate ancient maps uh, of our time, because uh, of of all time, because it is so perfectly placed on the map. It's exactly where the islands are today, which is quite astounding. But it's also because they had pre-knowledge of where it was from Columbus's prior trips too.
0: That's, that's awesome. It, it's kind of similar to that, uh, uh, the Magellan story of Patagonia. Uh, very similar in the fact when he gets on shore, sees them, and, and at first they're peaceful, and then uh, the wheels fall off. Yes, um, exactly. Looking back a little bit at what you said before, I, it just it kind of just dawned on me kind of randomly here when you were talking about that. But we, we always try to look into, and there's so many different theories, but we look back at Genesis 6 and... Um, First Enoch, like we were talking about, uh, referring to the Nephilim and and kind of thinking about then the flood comes, right, and supposedly wipes everything out on earth. I mean, biblically, it's what it says. But then it's kind of interesting when you say that the giants were born out of the earth, is I mean, there's so many different theories about how they made it through the flood, or how they showed back up after the flood. If if indeed they're all connected, I mean, I'm not saying that there couldn't be some genetic anomaly where there's somebody who's you know g- genetically taller than other people, but um, I just think that that's an interesting point that that you said that they said they can't they were born out of the earth. So uh, that's just a whole other theory about could they have somehow knew that was coming and hid underground or somewhere where you know in, a, in some chambers where there was air
1: where they could have lived i mean something and, and biblically too you know the you know the waters you know was symbolic for chaos you know and then it said that uh, the the fallen angels were imprisoned in everlasting chains in, in tartarus until the day of judgment so their children coming from the abyss the waters of chaos underneath the earth you know i mean that. I know I look at a lot of symbolism and stuff like that, but I that that kinda stands out to me when she yeah. was talking about that. It's like, Well, if the yeah, they come from the earth, that's where their fathers are. They're chained in the abyss according to scripture.
0: Yeah, no, that makes a hundred percent. That makes sense.
2: But and I, also um one thing I, when I make my presentations at conferences, I always mention what the, the things that giants love. So, if you're going to look for giants, the things that you should look for. And one of them is caves. Giants love caves, and um, you will find giant remains in caves all over the world. And so, in Aruba, Bonaire, and Curacao are no exception. They had, um, caves specifically for burial, some caves specifically for ritual, and in the case of one cave in Aruba, there was a cave specifically for birthing. So uh, if the caves are kind of symbolic of the underworld, particularly that some of these caves have been worked. And you can tell they've been worked. They have thrones. They have, in some cases, not in the Caribbean, but they've had beds. Um, There there are stalactites and stalagmites that are carved and and are are of great antiquity. So um, it's possible that those, that the caves are maybe connecting to the underworld or symbolic of the underworld or actually birthing these giants as well. Um, There are caves in um, Bonaire that are, I think there's over 400 caves. Um, It has one of the largest cave systems in the entire Caribbean. Aruba is said to have a cave that goes all the way under the water, under the ocean, and goes all the way to Venezuela. That is 16 miles to the south of Aruba. And that's a that's a story that's told through the local population. I mean, tourists don't know anything about that. And um, that's been told for generations, that there are these underground tunnels, essentially, that are um, entered through caves. Some caves are so dangerous that um, people have gone in and never come out, including an entire Boy Scout troop. So um, people won't even go near those caves. Uh, um, Some caves are considered evil. And so, um, yeah, I think there's a connection between the underworld and these caves. And the caves and the giants have a deep connection. And that's seen not just in the Caribbean.
0: Well, that's... That's interesting. I, it's just amazing to me because the further we keep going, it's just a rabbit hole, and it just you just keep falling down this rabbit hole, and you see so many connections and there's so many different things. But um, I, I got two more things that I want you to talk about for sure, and I'm sure Justin's got a few for you, but. Uh, one of the things that I'm interested in and i I think a lot of people are are the megaliths that we see all over the all over the world
1: oh yeah, she's, and we, big, she's big into that We too, see
0: yeah. we see things you know think about the Great pyramids you know it's one of the ones that everybody knows you know these twenty ton rocks somehow are just you know, put in a place perfectly where the seams are perfect and and the angles are perfect. Machu Picchu. Machu, or what's the, I can never say it right, Go Begley Tepe. Uh, I can never say that one right, but some of the things, I love looking at those and and seeing the connections. But um, have you found stuff like that uh, when we're looking at uh,
1: Aruba?
2: Yes, yeah, so that's another thing that giants love. So that's in my presentation too. So if you're looking for giants, start. Stevens with did
1: his homework.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and look for the megaliths. No, I appreciate it. That megaliths are key, and in Aruba, there's no exception. There are megaliths. So um, there's a, t- the biggest me- megalithic sites are of these balanced stones. Some of them are um, the appearance of dolmen. And some of them, which it's two stones or a couple of stones with a massive stone on top of it. And some are just uh, balanced stones. One stone put placed on top of another stone. And all the stones appear to be pointing in a certain direction. And they're pointing towards something. So generally, they're pointing towards um, a petroglyph site, a burial site, a cave site. And, or another balanced stone. And I've actually mapped all of the balanced stones. Um, I think I'm up to 13 balanced stones now. Some of these are on private property, so I rely on the local populations to kind of key me into where they are. And if they're so kind, they allow me to go and, and see the stone and document it. Um, some of these stones are um, diorite on top of tonalite, which are two different types of, of diorite. Um, and they're massive, massive stones, I mean, just enormous. And, and they're positioned, and they're all pointing. So it's not like it's just a round sphere um, on top of a, another stone. There specifically is an edge on most of these stones that's protruding and points to another another site. Um, and so the, when you see these and you map them, it begins to form a pattern on the island of Aruba. And it begins to form a pattern of all these stones going in parallel lines, diagonal across the island, from northwest to southeast. And they are parallel lines, and there's a series of them. And along these parallel lines with these balanced stones also happen to be the petroglyph sites. So the petroglyph sites are aligning perfectly with these balanced stones. So I have tried to come up with why were they doing this in these diagonal lines across the whole island, not just with these massive balance stones, that it's it's not a coincidence that these stones are there. They're not just, one, um, gl- I had an archaeologist try to tell me uh, that they were glacial erratics. There were no, there was no glacier activity <laughs> in the Um Yeah, and that was an archaeologist. It was So you get, uh, you really can, once you start pressing them, you'll see just how much they really know. And so I, I looked at uh, fault line maps to see because oftentimes the the giants would and not just in the Caribbean but across the, the world would look for these fault lines and try to harness some energy from these fault lines and although there are fault lines all over Aruba there aren't distinct fault, fault lines that follow these, uh, these balanced stones and and dolmen. So I'm still at, uh, puzzled as to what it is. It could have something to do with the sun, um, because if it's true that the giants worshipped the sun or had some form of sun worship, um, like for example Akhenaten, who was probably a giant and definitely had an elongated skull. Um, then there might be a connection with the path of the sun over the sky. The other um, interesting shape that you'll find with these sites um, in Aruba are giant isosceles triangles. Yes, exactly. So that is a pattern that has been noticed by the archaeologists with the burial sites. And this has been repeated over and over with the giants being at the angles of these triangles and the average statured people filling out the rest of the isosceles triangle. And what I found when I was looking at the entire island of Aruba as a whole was that there were certain stone rock formations that are what I had predicted many years ago that they were megalithic sites that align with naturally occurring sites, such as a series of caves, that form these massive isosceles triangles across the entire island. And the instance of this being a coincidence, I believe it's 0.0001%. So, um, I mean, they're perfectly aligned, perfect isosceles triangles. I um, thought it might have to do with the constellation triangularum, which also has its own galaxy. So um, I'm not quite sure that constellation can be seen for a couple of hours during the summer months um, above the equator. Uh, right about 9 p.m. Just actually, it's not even for a couple hours. It's very, very brief. And so I thought maybe there was a connection between this rare sighting of triangularum and this desire to, which triangularum, by the way, isn't, uh, in the, the, the star cluster is in the form of Isosli's triangle. So I thought maybe there was a connection there. Triangularum is one of the first named constellations by the Sumerians, so it's a very old constellation. It's been known of for a very long time, and um, but I I I can't really make a connection that makes sense there yet. So that's another mystery I keep exploring, and that that hopefully will come through the megaliths and studying more of the megaliths and discovering more of the megaliths that will be able to determine more. Um, also in Bonaire, there's the mother stone, of course, but that was naturally occurring. Now, we don't know if the, the navel was actually carved out. Uh, that could be possible, or, you know, maybe it really is birthing giants. Um, also, there is, um, uh, outside the cave structure, a, a huge cave in Bonaire, there is a stalagmite that is carved into the shape of a woman and uh she's called also the mother stone and sometimes you'll see some offerings left at her feet she also has a, a, a like a shroud like almost like a veil which is interesting because in a cave in aruba which i believe is a birthing cave there is a petroglyph of a woman with a baby in her stomach and she also has uh like a shroud on so which is a um it almost looks like the Virgin Mary. I always think of that because, you know, when Mary has this kind of veil on her head, this, uh, you know, her hair is covered. Uh, I always think about that. And is there some sort of connection? And the fact that they're calling it the mother stone is, is quite interesting as well. Um, in Curacao, we don't see many megaliths. Um, I don't know if it's because I know in some cases in Aruba when there are these balanced stones and someone wants to buy the property, they'll just come in with a bulldozer, dig a giant hole and push over the stone into Uh. the hole. So, I know that that's happening because I know I just when I was recently there, a doctor who has all these megaliths on his property um, told me. Yeah, they just sold that property, and there was a giant piece of quartzite, and it was and it was definitely connected to the doctor's megalithic site, which he bought the land to preserve the site, mm. which is quite interesting. And he said they just dug a hole and pushed it in the in the hole and buried it back up so they could build houses. And he said that's happening all the time on the island. So uh, I don't know if that's happening in Curacao. Curacao did have a lot of activity on the island in terms of um, the slave trade and um, plantations. They have a different climate than Aruba, so they're not so arid, so you can actually grow things there. So a lot has been shuffled around in Curaçao, where Bonaire and Aruba, particularly Aruba, has kind of been remained pristine, and that's what allows you to really get to explore the megalithic sites there.
0: That's awesome. It sounds kind of like it's a very, with everything that you're saying, is it's a very matriarchal kind of society there, where you see that it's it's the mother stone it's the there's just so many connections they carved the carved a, a stalagmite that is that's a, that's the mother stone as well and that's like
1: a tiamat T- when she talks about that tiamat you know the the sumerian story as that she was the mother of all living you know
2: right yes it is and it is a matriarchal society that that's what i i surmised um not just because of this birthing chamber, um, which is very, you can tell, it's strictly probably guarded over by by women. Um, also in the burial site, the largest burial site in Aruba at a place called Malmuk, there is only one burial that is alone on its own, and this is the burial of a woman. And she is the oldest person in that cemetery, and she has the most ornate burial of any of these at least 72 graves that were found and unearthed there and so she was given a, a, she was of a very prestigious um, position was if not the highest position within the, the uh, within the society and you'll also find um, these pregnant stones there uh, which could also be considered uh, monoliths for sure where the stone would be um, kind of bulbous <clears throat> and where if it was for example, the shape of like a pregnant woman, the navel would be carved out so you'll find these pregnant stones um, throughout uh, aruba as, as well as cupules. Now cupules are um, usually representative uh, of, a, of the female, so um, of the vulva essentially so, there would be different rituals down there. Perhaps women would go there if they wanted to get pregnant. Um, and certain um, herbs and water and different things would be put inside these cupules. And generally, they are representative of the female, um, particularly in the form of the divine feminine. Not all cup marks are representatives of that. In some cases, there is a stone that's carved in the shape of a, a, like a rat or a mouse. And it, uh, but I think it's probably a rat, and it has an eye, you know, sometimes, and that's like the carved part of the stone um, in the circular form. But in other cases, there are huge panels of, of cup marks. And that's also to this day still found in ancient India. The women in rural India will go to these places with these cup marks and do certain ceremonies that men aren't privy to. So um, also if you talk to the local population who still carry on stories from uh, the past amongst themselves, they talk about uh, the, the ancient people being a matriarchal society.
1: Which, uh, far as like the megaliths and stuff like that go, your opinion is this just a a sign of their their brute strength, or is there some kind of like you know high tech you know high tech stuff going on here? A mixture of the two? I mean, what what's your opinion on how they constructed these these big heavy you know structures?
2: Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I guess it's. I always try my, when I'm with my daughter in Aruba, I'm always like, you know, let's try to picture how would they lift this stone. And it's not just lifting the stone. It's carrying it over to the place. Then it's getting it on top of this other stone and then pointing it in a, in a certain direction. And um it's interesting. I almost feel like they're harnessing some type of energy. At some points, you know, some monoliths, some stones. You could say they were uh, directional markers. In some cases, maybe they were denoting water sources. But there are much easier way to do those things than to erect these massive monolithic uh, megaliths. It just, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, there's one. Uh, St- the group of stones called the Casabari rock formation that mirrors and is almost half the height of an extinct volcano that it looks at um, called Hoiberg. So I believe the stones were placed and, and this would be a massive undertaking. And uh, I don't know if maybe there was um, some supernatural power that is imbued in these Stones, or through the giants, or that they had some technology that we're not privy to. They knew how to maybe make create zero gravity, gravity, and be able to levitate the stones in a sense. Um, one thing that the archaeologists did note in their reports was that most of the ceremonial sites of the Archaic Arubans, in particular, were done on limestone. And that's interesting because limestone carries energy and limestone also has crystals in it. So there's a crystalline structure to limestone and that they were specifically targeting limestone sites to do their ritual. It's very interesting so they clearly had a deep knowledge of the stones and understood the the composition of stones and the different properties of stones and could they have used this to their advantage to manipulate the stones in a way um, is is highly possible
1: and uh, i guess a follow-up was we we see so much evidence of of giants, you know, you, you got the the biblical record, you got the you know archaeological record, you know, you got the megaliths, uh, you know, all the bones that's been found, and you know, even Abraham Lincoln, a lot of people don't even realize it, but he he, he talked about them in his uh, speech at Niagara Falls. You know, he said, you know, the eyes of that species of that extinct giant whose bones fill the mounds of America, if gazed on Niagara as our eyes do now, so. And obviously, I mean, you know, Stephen mentioned, you know, we, you know, we have, you know, anomalies now. You know, we have seven, eight-foot-tall basketball players and stuff like that. You know, where did they go? Did, did they just uh, – did they breed out? Were they hunted out? Uh, did entropy come into play here and the DNA strand just got weaker as time went along? I mean, what, what's your take on that?
0: Or, Or maybe they're not gone yet.
1: Well, oh, that's what I was getting at it. Do, do, do you think there's any left?
2: Well, um, interestingly, in two thousand two, there is a study that was done of a group of geneticists did on the island of Aruba, of the local population. Um, the stipulation was that if you were in Aruba, you had to have going back, I think, at least three generations have never left the island. Um, and it's easy to find a kind of um, protected gene pool, shall we say, in Aruba, because there wasn't a thriving slave trade there because there was a, a desert climate, so nothing was really being grown there, and that. Um, you know, for multitude of reasons, of course, really saved the island and and um, and protected, in a sense, the genetic uh, makeup of the people of Aruba. So, when they did this analysis of their genetics, uh, the scientists discovered that there was this gene in the that was carried on through the people that was maintained, and it was believed that this gene was. Uh, uh, attributed to the pre-ceramic or archaic uh, people who originally inhabited the island. So that would be about 7,000 years ago. So that meant that the DNA from those giants was still living today in the modern Aruban people. And so my belief is since um, in the birthing chamber that I discovered in, uh, in one of the caves, Um, I didn't discover the cave itself or the chamber, but I did discover the fact that it was probably a birthing chamber based off of the evidence in the petroglyphs. Um, There is this petroglyph of a woman um, who has a baby in her stomach, and then there's next to it, these little like, uh, dots, like these slashes, and that uh, denotes generally births. And that was even done in, in the Native American populations here, the Hopi, for example, um, in Sedona, you'll see some sites with, that are birthing chambers that have these same little dashes or, or dots. And in those cases, it denotes births. And if you, in a, almost all the cases, there aren't a lot of them. Um, I don't know if it's simply because of the um, dynamics of giving birth to a child with an elongated skull, um, but ultimately it didn't appear that there were a lot of giants, and it didn't appear that they were making a lot of new giants, baby giants. So I, I believe that eventually, because the modern humans now still carrying this ancient DNA, that there must have been a crossbreeding going on, that the giants must have at some point been in a situation where there weren't enough of them to keep going, and so they had to eventually mate with the average statured. People over whom they they ruled, and and this was in order for them to just um, keep themselves alive and keep their people alive. So that's what I think happened to the giants. And um, I almost once a month at least I get a message from someone in Aruba or Bonaire or Curacao, and they say, you know, I. I had an uncle who was a giant, um, you know, I'm over eight, eight feet tall, and no one in my family is over eight feet tall. I just got one, uh, one guy was almost over seven feet tall, and um, another one said his grandfather was, oh, you know, what, eight, almost eight feet tall, so maybe there's... Um, some sort of way that this is kind of coming back. You know, it's it's maybe a recessive gene that every now and then pops up again, and which is even more interesting. And I love hearing those stories of the people telling me about their family history in which they had, Giants in their family, they describe how big their jaws were, which makes a lot of sense because the jaws of the skeletal remains of the Giants are very large, including the teeth are large. And they always have big hands. See the Giants weren't like um, NBA players. They were, although they were tall, probably taller than them, um, they were also very wide. These were massive people. They had massive bones. Their bones were stronger. Than our bones. As a matter of fact, one of the archaeologists talks about having to um, create a tool to cut through the bone of the giants to uh, to observe him because he was trying to use a a, a a cadaver saw, and the saw was kept breaking on the bones of the giants. So the bones of the giants were very strong and and much thicker than than modern human bones today.
1: Hmm did anybody ever report like, when they cut those bones if they'd ever found any live tissue because i've heard a lot of scientists and stuff like talking about dinosaurs and they're supposed to be you know billions of years old finding live tissue have they ever reported anything like that with these bones well that you know with of the
2: bones um but definitely with the teeth they, have, um, they were able to get enough to garner a, a DNA um, test of, of one of the teeth of one of the skulls that was taken from one, the largest cemetery in Aruba. And it was actually uh, proposed by the head of the Tropical Museum in Amsterdam at that time. She was an anthropologist, and she was the only um, person of that level who uh, a scientist who basically said, these are the bones of giants. These were giant people. And the next step is to do a DNA analysis from the teeth. And so she, that was her plan. Um, She was going to go back to um, Holland, bring some of the sample and then test it. Sadly, though. Uh, Before she was able to do that, she was on a plane flying to South America and her plane crashed and she died. So that was the last... Uh, that that was it. That, that was the first, only, and last proposal of doing a DNA analysis on the giant skeletal remains, and so none has been done since.
1: And that's even if she wouldn't had made it back and wouldn't have been intimidated and threatened with her job not to do so. I mean, that's going on all over the place. But you know, a lot of scientists and archaeologists believe in the things that we're talking about, but they're too afraid to risk their careers to even talk about it.
2: Yes, as a matter of fact, the head of scientific research on the island, who um, heads up the archaeology museum in Aruba, um, he clandestinely gives me information that he's aware of regarding the giants. He He, as a matter of fact, was the one who was in that rant saying that there were no giants on the island. So now we have since become friends. And he's on the side, told me, yeah, for sure there were giants on the island. He said, but I can't talk about it because I'll jeopardize my career. So you talk about it. You can talk about it, but I can't talk about it, Um, which is so frustrating because, I mean, what's, What's the point, you know, of of basically lying every day about what's going on just to maintain your career and your integrity, which, quite frankly, I don't feel you have much integrity if you're lying. So it's um, it's very convoluted and really sad. Um, Interestingly, as a side note, um, the archaeology museum in Aruba is connected is a sister museum to the Smithsonian. So the Smithsonian. (laughs) <laughs> um, fund the archaeology museum in Aruba and helped build
0: it. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Any place any place their giant bones show up? The Smithsonian seems to have their fingers in it somewhere.
2: Yes, they they like to control the narrative for sure.
0: It that is that is extremely frustrating cuz you think about uh, it takes people who are, you know, top in their field to be able to to jump on board with you know newer ideas or newer theories but if if it doesn't stick to the narrative, everything ends up getting hushed up and it it's just it seems like there's such a large uh, i don't i mean it's just like the biggest conspiracy of all time to hide things to hide the giants to hide that and I think it goes back to what you initially said when you were talking about um well they don't want the Bible to be real they don't they don't want that to look as no, those are just those are just bedtime stories. That's not that's not a historical record. and I, I 100% believe that. And I'm I think it comes at us from a lot of different ways, but I believe 110% that's a big part of it. So, I I don't know. I just I do want one uh, one last question and it it piggybacks off what <coughs> Justin had just said um and when we talk about the giants, are they still around? Cuz I've heard from um Listening to L.A. Marzulli or Steve Quayle talking about Kandahar, um, Afghanistan, and the stories that they've heard from individuals in the military. I mean, do you believe, and potentially even you said the cave systems in um, Bonaire. You said Bonaire was like over 400 caves there and, and very, very little is explored. Could it be that there are still some that live in these caves? I mean, are they still around?
2: Well, you know, I always... Uh harken back to the Solomon Islands. You know, I've always wanted to go there. I've attempted to put together trips. They're very hard to get to. Um, They are um, very remote. But in the Solomon Islands, there is an island um, that's part of the archipelago that is considered this island of giants. Um, It's mountainous. The people don't go there. The local population speaks of the giants on that island uh, as commonplace. I mean, it's not unheard of, you're not looked up at like you're a kook if you mentioned that island being filled with giants. Um, there's been strange um, UFO activity around the island with lights, um, the, uh, things um, going in and out of in terms of light, um, energy coming in and out of mountains on the island. and there's always this story of the giants coming to the mainland, to the, to the main uh, island, and stealing children or stealing women and then mating with them and making these hybrids. And um, I there was a, uh, online, um, I was reading the story of a man who was American married to a woman in the Solomon Islands. She was of the native population. And um, they knew of this woman who was... That she was a a, a baby of a, a human and one of these giants, so she was a hybrid. They mentioned that she was um, she had a lot of hair, which was kind of interesting, and that she had recently passed away, so that she had lived quite some time. So um, that means, and and they were very open about it. Um, it wasn't something that they. Would make fun of each other for saying. I mean, it was it was known this woman was a hybrid, and it was known that she had just recently passed away. She lived into her old age, and which means a lot. So, first of all, if we're to accept that this island is filled with giants, and that they are um, taking, stealing, essentially human women in particular. Um, and then mating, it means that genetically they're not far from us, if they're having viable children. Now, whether or not this hybrid child could have her own children, we don't know. Um, and maybe there are stories about that, I haven't come across them yet. but. It is kind of interesting to think about that, and to this day, I mean, they are, if, if you talk to people from the Solomon Islands, and I have met people who have known people from the Solomon Islands, been from the Solomon Islands, and 100 percent collaborate corroborate this story about the giants being on that island. So I think that that in that case they're very open um, about it, And um, but yeah, it's, I don't know elsewhere maybe you know you never know if they're deep inside those caves like you said in Bonaire most of them have not been explored some of them are submerged some of them go so far back that people are just too scared to even go back there the oxygen starts to deplete so uh i you never know and i never say never because it's you know especially with the giants you just don't know what to expect and the more research you do the more puzzling it becomes
1: so well, that that tazes me up uh, and this is funny i was I was going to come up with this. It's kind of like a little joke. I was listening to, uh, I think it was when you was on Blurry Creatures, and uh, you mentioned that your daughter was a a Bigfoot hunter. Yes. And I got to thinking about it, you know, and I heard you talk about that same story about the the hairy woman, and I was like, you know, kind of just being facetious, you know, It's like a joke. I was like, well, I wonder if she thinks Esau is a, is a big foot. Cause he, you know, or Nephilim talked about how hairy he was, you know, in Genesis. But then I got to looking into it and it's like, it's blew my mind. Genesis 25:25 I never noticed this. It says that he came out red all his body, like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. And then of course, you know, like a lightning bolt in my head went off, you know, well, the native American stories about the red haired six fingered giants you know, and then, then another one went off. I was like, well, you know, Nimrod was believed to be a, a giant. He was described as Geborim in the book of Jasher, and that was the same, you know, terminology that they used to describe the Nephilim. In, it, in the book of Jasher, it says that Esau, the mighty hunter, which, you know, Nimrod, Nimrod was described as a mighty hunter also, that they bumped into each other and fought to the death, you know, and... uh in the book of Joshua, it says that he took the garments from the Garden of God, from from Nimrod in that battle, and then that's where it ties it in, where Genesis uh, twenty-five twenty-nine that he returns on his deathbed, but Jacob nurses him back to health for his birthright. So the garments that he just won from Nimrod, but I, but I was looking in through that, and I was like, well, golly, maybe, you know. I mean, he was so hairy that Jacob put uh, uh, lambskin on his arms to fool his blind father. So he was obviously a very big, hairy man. Yeah.
2: (laughs) You You know, there's a cave in Aruba that I call the Bigfoot Cave, and... Um, in this cave, and, and a lot of locals don't even know about it. I don't ever disclose where it is because it's the petroglyphs in this cave are so pristine. It's like someone did them yesterday, but they are ancient, very ancient. It could be as old as 7,000 years old. And uh, emanating from the bottom of the cave are all these petroglyphs, and they're probably, some of them are probably about three, four foot high, um, of these red and they're red, uh, the the beasts coming from the, they look like they're floating up from the bottom of the cave, the cave floor, and they appear to be hairy, and one of them has his arm outstretched with these long spindly fingers, you know, beckoning you, and um, it's very interesting. It's repeated until the cave gets dark, so it's just... Um, a couple of these figures all the way until you get to the inner sanctum of the cave and that's when the drawing, all the drawing stops. So it's almost as if it's a warning in a way to whomever goes in the cave that maybe there are these creatures that exist there and are coming up from the floor of the cave and curiously they are painted red. So there are, there are um, several different shades of color of the petroglyphs in Aruba, red, white, black and brown. And specifically, these Bigfoot type beings that are coming up, which I which I think look very much like Bigfoot. They're on my Facebook page. Um, if you want to look them up, they uh, look to be like like Bigfoot, like giants, and they're red. So um, it's very curious that you you brought that up because I always wondered are there Bigfoot sightings? And there was a gentleman who just um, he was trying to break the Guinness Book World Record for staying in living in a cave the longest. And he um, he's on the island now. I know him. He went into this cave and he said every night he was tormented by this creature in the cave. And every time he would put on lights and try to take a picture, it was so fast it would go away. But he got a little corner of this creature um, on camera. And people saying it's a hoax. I don't. I don't quite know if it's a hoax or not. But it is this hairy creature that's way in the back, moving very quickly um, into the depths of the cave, and so yeah that that could be that there are still these creatures that emanate maybe they're supernatural maybe they're coming from within the earth or within the cave deep within the cave i don't know but it is kind of strange that you bring this up and then i just realized that those beasts that are painted on the wall of the cave are also in a red color too
0: that's that's just unreal that's awesome it makes me think too you think we talk about, well, I say we think about this, but, you know, they send down in the bottom of the ocean, they send down these submarines to places they never thought life could exist. And all of a sudden, boom, there's all these new species. And who's to say at the bottom of some of these cave systems, there isn't something that potentially could be living down there.
2: Exactly. I mean, that's, that's unreal. Yeah, I mean, many of them are unexplored and, and too dangerous to even get into. And so, um, and because of these stories of people going in the cave and never coming out, uh, yeah, this yeah, really yeah. prevents people from going that deep into the caves. So, um, it's very possible. You know, I don't rule, like I said, I don't rule anything out.
0: Well, be careful in the future. We'd like to talk to you again, okay? So, so yes, don't go sure. too far into the caves.
2: Yes, <laughs> thank you. I won't. If, if I do, I'll call you guys.
0: <laughs> oh, fair <Okay>.
1: enough. <laughs> yeah. Can get us yeah yes we we have a a harry half breed deflam yeah. in our group yeah, yeah. Thanks. thanks guys thanks he's our big harry ape yeah <laughs> they call me the sewer back gorilla at work <laughs> heather
0: can you do us a favor and let everybody know where they can get a hold of your information uh, uh look at some of the stuff that you've done like yes. your facebook
2: and-
1: social media and all that stuff
0: yeah,
2: and- please thank you um So um, Heather L. Arnold is um, my profile on Facebook. I also have a page called the Islands of the Giants. I have a Facebook group called Stones, Bones, and the Paranormal. Um, I'm also Heather L. Arnold and the Islands of the Giants on Instagram and Heather L. Arnold on Twitter, and I'm starting to put together a YouTube channel, which I haven't posted anything yet but hope to, if anyone wants to follow me there. And on October 29th, I will be in London presenting at the Nephilim Anthropology Conference in person with Hugh Newman, uh, Gary Wayne, Maria uh, Maria Wheatley, um, just to name a few of the people who will also be presenting in this two-day event, which is also online, and you can get information from that at um right on my all of my social media at in my description um it'll have the link to get tickets
0: and be on the lookout for your book coming in the next couple months as well
2: yes thank you the islands of the giants the lost race of giants of aruba bonaire and curacao
0: well heather thank you so much i can say that from all of us that this was awesome um just great information and uh hope to talk to you again soon
2: yes thank you so much thank you all i really appreciate the invitation and uh this was a great show i appreciate it thank you
1: thank oh, you're you very welcome we look forward to having you back again we thank you for listening to the Dig bible podcast questions comments or future episode ideas
0: we'd love to hear from you at the dig423 at gmail.com if you enjoy our content don't forget to share subscribe and check out our facebook group at the dig podcast Remember, you can't lean on a shovel and pray for a hole, you gotta dig.